0: We spent a lot of time working on taking care of people. We found ways to find staff then through the next phases. We tried to be humble. We took staff from anywhere we could get them. Like We, we talked with our own state and the, the National Guard, and we worked with the federal government. We took staff wherever we could get them, and we never said no when someone needed to come here. And I think all the places that we asked for help were more than willing to give us help because we did things like increased our ICU bed capacity by 200 percent. Like, we just didn't say no. We found a way to do it.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Alvarez and Marcel Healthcare Industry Group Human Capital and Workforce Management Podcast. In this podcast series, we discuss the human capital perspective of the healthcare industry. I'm Bianca Briola, leader of the healthcare Human Capital and Workforce Management Practice. And I'm joined today by Jonathan McDermott, Chief Human Resources Officer from the Billings Clinic in Billings, Montana. Hello,
0: Jonathan. Hey, how are you?
1: Wonderful. Thank you for joining us today. I've been dying to talk to you. I have so many questions for you, especially about your background. Can you tell us a little bit about the Billings Clinic and your role there?
0: Sure. So, Billings Clinic is Montana's largest uh, independent healthcare system, and here we serve Montana, Wyoming, and the Western Dakotas. We are not-for-profit, and we are a physician-led group. Our CEO is a physician, and we're governed by a community board, which is great. So, we have community members that that really take care of, of our needs and making sure that we meet the needs of our patients, and we have physicians on our board as well. We main flagship site is a three hundred and four bed hospital trauma level two center. We have about forty seven hundred employees, again, in different sites all over those areas.
1: You know, a lot of people they think of Montana and they don't think of competition, and that's actually not the case at Billings, right? You compete for resources and for patients, don't you?
0: Absolutely, we have a a very large competitor that's literally where we abut each other, our properties. Um, So there's lots of competition. We do have a medical corridor here um, for the state. But if you really look at a map, we're kind of right in the middle of a big open area where there are some, big competitors, but mostly those competitors is what people think of are in these major cities like Denver, Utah, and uh, like uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and some other places. But they don't think about us, but there is a lot of competition here as well.
1: Great. So really, you offer world-class, best-in-class care, and you want to be and are achieving the primary employment status, where you want to be an attractive employer for the area, which creates a very competitive market. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background. I remember a conversation we had, and you mentioned that you actually started your career outside of healthcare. Where did you spend your time before you came to Billing Clinic?
0: I've been working in human resources for over 25 years. When I first got out of graduate school, um I started working for Mobile Oil Corporation, which is now ExxonMobil. They the two of those corporations merged, then worked a little while for Sarah Lee um, in, in an industry, and then worked for General Electric for 20, almost 20 years, and did lots of different roles in General Electric in lots of different businesses, from you know a consumer business like GE Appliances to um, a business like GE Nuclear um energy all sorts of places and the last position that i held was the human resources leader for ge industrial solutions which had over fourteen thousand employees um, around 50 manufacturing sites worldwide a global business that we ended up selling um, to another company it was a swiss company abb is its name and and so, um, after it was sold, that's when I took an opportunity to look and see where I wanted to spend the rest of my career, and completely changed uh, directions and decided to work for a nonprofit um, in healthcare. And started on March sixteenth of twenty twenty, which was the day that we started shutting down all time sensitive uh, surgeries due to COVID. So it was a great time to be, I guess you would say, jump into the deep end and have to start swimming.
1: I'm just struck by your background. You've worked for major corporations in very different, distinctly different industries than Billings Clinic, there's no no doubt. Uh, I'm certain that you've made some parallels, but what learnings have you brought from your previous experience in those other organizations
0: to Billings? Well, You know, what struck me when I came here was that HR truly can be a differentiator. Um, It wasn't being used as a differentiator. And although I don't know, I suspect in other healthcare settings as well, maybe it's not like industry has used it for quite some time. But you have to have the right support from obviously the, the board, from the CEO, from the staff. You have to have the right expertise in human resources because you know it's one thing to say we can make a difference but you have to have the right expertise in the areas that that matter and then you have to have the right model i think as well so when you think of those things that's really what struck me and so what i set out to do with the support of our board and our ceo was bring in a human resources business partner model you know human resources at the time when I came here was mostly benefits, recruiting, some compensation, um, and then em- one employee relations person that kind of helped do investigations and things like that. And there wasn't this partnership where, you know, you take your, your largest asset probably for most any health system, which is labor, because these systems are very labor intensive. Well, you need a partner that can help unleash the potential of that big asset um, and make sure that you're using it in the right way Um, and so you have to what I thought and what we've done is add HR business partners who can come in and spend time with leaders helping understand what their problems and issues are and then partner together to try to come up with a plan like a workforce plan as an example to help improve um, the operations of the largest expense that we have.
1: You know, I I can appreciate your perspective here. For so long, I think many have viewed the HR leader and the HR function more as administrivia um, Mm -hmm. until more recently where the most pressing issues that hospitals and health are facing are solidly in the human capital space. And the role of a human resources leader and their professionals um, has become incredibly strategic. It's operational. It's consultative. It is required, right? It's it's so incredibly important to solving for many of these issues. So it sounds like in other industries, that's the place that you and your team have always been, and, and now you're you're bringing this level of professionalism and consultative support to an organization. It's fantastic. So, you know, it's not lost on me that you joined Billings during the pandemic. How have the past two years been? How how have you spent the past two years?
0: Well, you know, I think it went in stages based on how kind of the pandemic went. We know when we first when I first arrived. You know, Montana is a state that lagged the rest of the country with the waves of COVID. It's just because of our smaller population. It, it certainly came here, and it came here in a big way, but it it would lag by a month or two the rest of the country. And so that first period of time, you know, we had a crossroad where we started shutting things down. Our president asked us to do that, you know, shut the country down for a few weeks and let's test it and see what happens. And so we had to do all those things, and we had a choice to make were we going to keep our staff or were we going to lay them off so we didn't have work for them to do we kept them you know we we were driven by our our vision our mission our values and so we kept them and obviously that paid off certainly when the wave finally got here and i think that built some credibility with our staff um, that we were willing to do that now that was a little short-lived after a while because people had the brevity of of the challenge of COVID, and people got tired and burned out and all those kinds of things but we we did spend a lot of time trying to do things like make sure on normally benefits are given on in um, 30 days we did it on day one and we found a way to do it um, because if people were going to go on the front lines and we didn't know anything much about COVID at the time we knew that we needed to make sure we took care of our people so we spent a lot of time working on taking care of people we found ways to find staff then through the next phases we tried to be humble we took staff from anywhere we could get them like we we talked with our own state and the the national guard and we worked with the federal government like we took staff wherever we could get get them and we never said no when someone needed to come here. And I think all the places that we asked for help were more than willing to give us help because we did things like increased our ICU bed capacity by 200 percent. Like we just didn't say no. We found a way to do it that took a toll on our people, but our staffing ratios held up during this time. Now, a lot of that was with travelers and other help, and we even introduced a new model of paramedicine that we'd never done before, just because we needed help for our RTs and we needed help for our nurses. And so we we tried something new and it worked and it helped us stem the tide. And then we started spending more recently a lot more time on mental health um, and really trying to help our staff through mental health. And then throughout the entire time, I'd say last thing, we partnered with our communities. Being a small community, I think it's probably a little easier to partner with your communities plus we're governed by and our board which is community driven and having support of your community helps so much with your staff so and obviously we did a lot of things on pay like everybody else and all those kinds of things but this is really what we spend our time on
1: yeah you know i'm really interested in hearing about what you did or what you continue to do to support your staff related to mental health i mean they went through a trauma. They continue to go through a trauma. Are there any insights that you have for other leaders as they try to support their their staff, their employees?
0: I think you have to do a lot of listening. I mean, it, it just, you can't listen enough. Um, you can't communicate enough. It, and you have to try lots and lots of different things. I don't think there's any one thing that works it's just a culmination of a lot of small things, I think, that work. I wish there was one big item that that we could I could say and point to that said that was what has helped us get through, and it's really not. It's just a lot of hard work and a lot of small things. Recently, we offered a mental health app, which is more than just an app, but it's, it's an app that people can use on their phone with a company, I won't mention their name, but this company basically gives everyone at our location 24 7 access to a counselor anytime they want it and we're doing it free of charge for our employees which is good it's expensive but it's the right thing to do um, to help supplement what we can provide them and so anybody that that's an employee that works here and their their family members um, we're giving them access to that and, you know that's just an example of something we just recently tried to do that i think is so needed in this time. I, I think there's so many things beyond just even working here in the in the conditions of COVID, but it's just the, the social conditions that have happened everywhere that put a lot of strain on people beyond just the workplace. And we want to give them something that's going to help them. And I think this is one of those things.
1: Yeah, a fantastic tool. And you said it's for both employees and their family members.
0: Correct. Yes. Wonderful.
1: Well, you've certainly been busy. That's a great example of a an investment made for the staff. Knowing what you know now in your two years there, is there anything that you would have done differently?
0: Yeah, I, I think one, from continuing what we were just talking about, I think we should have focused on uh, well-being sooner I think we focused a lot obviously on monetary things to get people to take more shifts and to incentivize people to, to come here and working in the conditions. And you know, you just could, we we just didn't spend enough time on well being soon enough. I, I think we should have done that faster. Um, I think that would have been a, a really good thing to do. And so when I go back and I think, about it. That's that's the one thing that I think I would have done sooner. I wish we had.
1: Yeah. I, I think that we can relate to what you're saying as leaders and as individual humans, right? Yeah. I don't think that any of us really understood what we were going through. And now we're, we're having the opportunity to take a breath and understand there was a collective trauma of humanity, right? And, yes. the, and the recovery process is long. It's very long and not at the same pace not everyone's going to be the same. Well, thank you for your candor and honesty about that. It sounds like uh, Billings Clinic is making an investment in understanding and prioritizing the staff's well-being, their family, and giving them the support they need. As we enter this new phase, I think I originally wrote new phase of the pandemic, but I think officially we're not in a pandemic anymore. We're moving forward. So what's keeping you up at night as a leader? What are some of the biggest challenges you and and Billings are facing right now?
0: Well, I think, you know, there obviously continues to be a war for talent, (laughs) you know, and it's not just the the healthcare industry. I think everyone um, is facing that no matter what industry you're in. So, obviously, in human resources, that keeps me up. Well-being, obviously, keeps me up at night. But, you know, the other thing that maybe is a little less mentioned that's particularly, I think, difficult for us here and probably others in this industry as well as being in Montana is the ever-changing CMS requirements that are confusing from surveyor to surveyor. They have a different opinion of their interpretation of them. You know, you had frontline workers who didn't know anything about COVID at all, who were willing to go right on the front line and take care of people, despite what we didn't know and what maybe the risks were. Now, we've learned a lot since then, and and we were very safe here. We uh, had very low transmissions between employees and patients and back and forth. I mean, it was amazing, and we learned a lot. We were very safe. but we encourage vaccination obviously and we have encouraged it from the start and the vast majority of our employees are but you know these these requirements that change all the time and then not knowing what you need to do is just stressful for our workforce and it's made quite a few people particularly in a in a state like montana that's very independent leave healthcare and go work other places where they didn't have those constraints. And so that keeps me up at night because I don't know what the next thing might be. And so that just makes it a little more difficult in this industry, that added layer of requirement. That keeps me up at night.
1: Yeah, I think that we can all agree that the fear of the unknown, because we never imagined what we went through. Uh, was going to happen and and now there's an internal sense of pessimism waiting for the other shoe to drop what else is next right Uh, i can understand that the layer of regulation and requirements is just another exhaustion for for leaders and for staff i do want to go back to your your first item and i love the word the phrase that you use the war for talent it sounds so militaristic, but I think many would characterize it as really it's just a battle. How are you winning or trying to win the war for talent?
0: Well, so, I, it, you know, you have to look at it, in my opinion, and how we've been looking at it as kind of short-term things you do right now, mid-term things that you do, and then longer-term, and you have to kind of do them all. Obviously, there's a lot of short-term things that we have to do. We have to maintain our competitiveness with our total compensation and benefits packages. And you're constantly looking at that, particularly if you're in a place like us where you have a big competitor that's trying to seek the same talent, which is a limited talent pool to begin with. And so you really have to stay on top of, are you competitive? What are you doing? When is enough enough? And so we're we're obviously doing that. But then, if you take like nursing as an example, and you think about well, what can you do midterm for nursing? Well, one of the things that that we've tried to do was one in the in the immediate area. Let's start there. Go back and really view what are nurses doing every day. So if you don't have enough supply how do you in the short term get more supply? Well, you you figure out what are nurses doing that others can do, and what are the things that nurses can only do, and you sp- have them spend more of their time on the things that only nurses can do, and you stop having them do things that others can do. So like stocking shelves, we can pay somebody else to do that. Let's have nurses spend more of their time at the bedside. You know, so that's kind of a short-term example of something you can do. And then in the medium term, you know, we started to try to increase supply by going internationally. And so we started in an international nursing program, um, and now we've hired our 30th, I think, international nurse.
1: Wow, that's Uh, fantastic.
0: Yeah, so we just started it about a year, not quite a year ago, and now we've already hired 30, which is great. And it's something that I think we'll just continue to do because it's a way to increase the supply here in the United States and in our town without taking them from someone else. You know, like, I mean, I could just continue to fight the other competitors for the same talent, but I mean, that doesn't help our community. So how do you do something where you increase supply that's good for us all And international nursing is kind of a midterm thing that you can do. And then finally, the long-term plan as an example is working with our state government and our state health uh, education systems and increasing capacity for nursing schools and we were fortunate in montana that someone gave the single largest donate donation to a nursing school in in the u.s 101 million dollars and They're going to put five different nursing schools, add five nursing schools to the state in different places, and one of them will be here in Billings. Um, And so, yeah, which is great. And we have to increase our ability to precept or teach and train. We've implemented a residency program for nurses to get them ready. You know, those are kind of the long term things that you have to keep working on. You have to, because, you know, you have to do something for the future. You can't just do all right now. You have to do, Mm Right now, medium term and long term things. So that's kind of what we are doing.
1: Yeah, it's like an individual saving for retirement. It's difficult at first to make that investment, but you know, pays off so much. That is a massive donation, um, and also the type of program change that or program ad that could change the state. Right, the, the the amount of new nurses coming into the system in the next three to five years will be material given given that change that's wonderful well i have two more questions for you and and one is a shift from the nursing discussion we we talked a lot about nursing for good reason it's top of mind for everyone but there's something unusual that's been happening i would say over the past few months and we're hearing of executives exiting healthcare and that's in and, and some less experienced some very experienced multi-decade long careers exiting the industry either to retire or go to you know some other industry some other role and this is a loss of decades of experience and knowledge and you know do you have a perspective on on why this is happening and what our industry needs to do to address this loss it's it kind of hit us from i guess it's to be expected, but we just weren't expecting it. And we, we just didn't, we weren't prepared.
0: Well, on the why really quick. I, I mean, I think that the reason why it probably wasn't that way, maybe we start there in the past, I think it's because it's, I, I think it's more natural and easier to feel a part of this industry. It's easy to buy into the mission to the vision, to the values of healthcare. It's easier to to attach to it and feel like you're making a difference. And people generally, I think, in in general terms, like to feel like they can be at a place where they're making a difference in the world. And so I think that's perhaps why you haven't seen it is maybe like other industries, is just because of that attachment that's there naturally. Why is it going on lately? Well, I think I think I read something the other day where there's openings per per one person that's available in the workforce these days. And so, when you have that much over demand, and at the same time, on top of it, an industry that was pretty stressful during this pandemic, it hit this industry, you know, kind of like square, right between the eyes, I think a lot of people have reevaluated and said, do I want to be a part of that stressful environment? And so I think that's why some people have finally said, maybe I should go try something else. Now, what I would tell you, there is a boomerang already happening that I'm seeing here. Um, lately Our hiring classes, 18 to 20% are rehires. So people are starting to come back that left for a little while that, that felt a little, maybe burned out or whatever it is. But what I think to help improve and maybe stem the tide, I kind of think of three things that might be worth doing. One, I think this industry maybe in the past maybe hasn't as much embraced people who don't have healthcare experience. And I think maybe they should. Perhaps I'm a good or bad example of that. I don't know. People will have to be the judge of that. But (laughs) um, particularly functional leaders, I think, you know, in IT, I think of, or in human resources and finance and, you know, yeah, I know there's some very specific industry things that need to be learned and can be learned, but, you know, smart, capable people can learn that quickly and they can also bring a different perspective of maybe how to look at things. So that's one thing I would do is maybe embrace more leaders, particularly functional leaders that don't have healthcare experience Two, I think really looking to technology to help with productivity advancements and just different ways that you don't have to be so labor dependent. I know that sounds funny. You're always gonna need labor and you have to have people at the bedside. There's no question about it, but there's a lot of places that I think, and I've seen where I think you can, there's some technology that can make us more efficient. And so I think then you you just perhaps need A little bit less because we're growing it's not it's it's not like you're gonna have to lay people off it's just maybe you don't have to grow your labor side quite as much with some technology advancements and then finally i really believe the biggest thing perhaps is investing in your leadership development and your 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 team Um, particularly you know if you think about clinicians who go to school like they don't when they go to school they don't learn a lot about leadership and organizational leadership like they're taught purposefully and for the right reasons a lot of clinical education which is what they should do because you want to get that right you don't want to get that wrong but then that means that when they're here and they just want to be on the leadership track we really have to do a, a good job here internally i think of really helping them learn how to lead how to communicate to people how to be efficient and organized with your time. It, it's just not something that comes naturally for people. If you've never been taught in school, I think of our physicians. I think of our nursing leaders. like they, They're just not taught that in school. So we have to supplement that. And I think if we do that, that will help as well.
1: Agreed. And great answer. You're touching upon so many of the strategies that aren't just for executives. The, our fixation with just hiring folks with healthcare experience is limiting at all levels. Um, As well as other barriers to entry like uh, education requirements where we know capable, strong, intelligent people can do the job, but they don't have a degree of some kind. So um, with the exception of obviously clinical requirements. The last question for you, last question, take out your crystal ball for a moment. What does the next few years look like
0: for our industry, for Billings Clinic and for you? A few things come to mind, I think one with the if the economy continues on the path that it is at the moment i think you'll actually start to see your staff workforce stabilizing a little more you know when inflation goes up and housing is harder to you know with with interest rates and stuff to move i, I think you're going to start seeing people hunker down a little more and probably this great resignation is going to STEM, and I think there'll be a little more stability. Fingers crossed, in our workforce, um, if it continues down this path. The other thing is, I think the the interesting thing about COVID is it put healthcare in a spotlight, and a lot of people might think that that was a bad thing. Actually, from what I'm reading, nursing applications to nursing schools are at all time high. So I think it, one good thing from COVID, if there is, is that I think actually there are more people that have said, hey, this is an industry where people, I can one, connect um, with people in a mission that's good, and two, there's a need. And so it seems that you're going to actually see if we can continue to add more um, ability to teach and train in schools, that you're going to actually see more interest in nursing. So I think that might be happening at the same time, You know, I I think the the pandemic has put a lot of strain and pressure on small rural critical access hospitals and just rural healthcare in general. And so I think you're gonna see um, more consolidation probably in partnerships. You're gonna see these smaller rural places wanna partner more um, with someone that's a little bigger that can help stabilize them due to the economic crunch of of covid and what's happened there so i think there's going to be a lot of people looking for more partners so i think you're going to see that and then finally perhaps i think this scarcity of physicians is going to continue it ebbs and flows on what it is and what's the scarcity because as people see a scarcity then they start you know paying more and so people go into to med school in those areas and so it kind of changes but I think medicine continues to subspecialize as technology continues to evolve and there's just more things that people can can be great at. But that subspecialization, I think, increases the, the lack of overall physicians that we need because there's so many subspecialties, perhaps. I don't know. This is a theory that I've got in my mind at the moment. It just seems like that um, is continuing to happen because there's just way more subspecializing, And so I think we're going to continue to see a scarcity of physicians in, in general.
1: This is so helpful and I love your perspective. Um, we will see if our collective crystal balls are accurate. It might be worth a conversation in nine months just to see if, if what you predicted happens. This is wonderful, Jonathan. Thank you so much for your candor. This is exactly what I was hoping for conversation-wise.